Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Signing up and playing is so easy. Simply sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you can get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matter more than ever. Place your money line, prop, and parlay bets with the king of sports books today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets. If you don't win your first bet, that's right, up to $1,500. Again, sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. BetMGM and Game Sense remind you to play responsibly. 21 plus in President Ohio, subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. That's 1-800-GAMBLER. Getting ready to take on spring? Make your first move with the reliable performance and power of steel battery tools. From hedge trimmers and mowers to string trimmers and more, right now you can save $50 on select battery tool sets. Real steel. Offer valid on select AK system sets through June 16, 2024. See participating retailer for details. When you buy Kroger brand products, you feel like you're winning. That's because they offer proven quality at lower than low prices. In fact, we guarantee that you and your family will love how Kroger brand products taste, or you get your money back. So next time you're shopping for the family, look for delicious Kroger brand products, because they'll make you all feel like you're winning. Shop now, in-store, or online. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Welcome, everyone, to the SI Media Podcast. I'm your host, Jimmy Trena. And this week, we are bringing in one of our regulars. Always good to chat with because he has tons of information. He is the authority on ESPN and other things like Saturday Night Live and other good pop culture stuff. And he is author and much more, James Andrew Miller. Jim, how are you? Great. Thanks for having me. My pleasure. And I, I wanted to bring you on... Um, because there was a big piece in the Hollywood Reporter last week, you were quoted in it about ESPN, and um, I thought it was a bizarre piece. If I'm being completely honest, uh, maybe bizarre, strong, but it seemed a little all over the place. The headline on it was ESPN's internal political divide, Bristol tradition versus woke reformers. And w- what I found interesting is, I, I do feel like. And maybe this is new President Jimmy Pitaro's doing. I'm not sure, but I do feel like the the political uh, talk surrounding ESPN had died down a little bit. I thought the timing of this article uh, was curious uh, about ESPN having this cultural crisis inside of Bristol because of politics. Um, am I am I wrong for thinking the timing was odd? Well, I mean, I, I don't want to judge what they think to be newsworthy. I think that um, obviously there's been a cultural war going on um, both within and outside of ESPN for quite some time um, about politics, and that's that's started way back when. I mean, 
we're you know into year five or six of this, um, and so I think that people have kind of gotten used to the fact that there are people out there who think that ESPN has a political agenda or that it leans left, um, and they from time to time can use things to uh, as evidence of that. But I don't think that um, the idea that there's that it's growing um, is something that um, people are feeling inside. I think there's another divide, which is the network's attitude towards the NFL. I think there's a there's a real divide there because I think that people inside ESPN, there are some people who think, look, we need to do a better job of playing along with the NFL because um, they don't really like us and they've been punishing us in certain ways. And even though we got a marginally better schedule this time, um, we still have to take a hard look at how we cover the NFL because places like Fox are not as uh, tough in terms of their independent investigative journalism about the NFL. And uh, there are voices inside ESPN and in Burbank, for that matter, who think enough is enough. So that's the one I'm paying attention to because I think that's going to be um, – I think that's going to be very interesting to watch, particularly with um, new leadership. That's very interesting because I, I, I would have thought, and maybe you know, I think ESPN has done a good job of putting out the perception that the relationship between them and the NFL has improved a little bit with Jimmy Pitaro in there and and John Skipper out. And I think I, I thought their Monday night schedule was much improved from what they've had in years past. So, um, it, although I guess. The NFL did a number on ESPN with the draft, putting it on Fox, um, and and sort of taking viewers away from ESPN there. So, is there is what is there anything you could tell us inside information there about the ESPN NFL relationship? So it's still frosty, is what is what you're saying? Well, look, I mean, I think ESPN was worried that they were going to lose the wild card. They they wound up getting the wild card, um, but I think the way that they found out about the Fox. Uh, draft uh, situation was um, a little hurtful to them. And I think, look, here's the thing. We we are on the outskirts of a new negotiating window. Uh, even though ESPN's up first, I think the league is going to wind up saying to everybody, okay, let's just throw all, everything in one in one pot, in one timetable. So, uh, you know, I think that obviously with particularly with the departure of Skipper, because I don't think Skipper was interested in keeping the NFL. Uh, I think that Kevin and Jimmy are going to want to keep the NFL. And of course, I think Bob Iger does, which matters more than anything. So um, I think, you know, you can never, you can never have too cozy a relationship when you're entering into a negotiating window. Now you said Kevin and Jimmy, uh, maybe I'm um, not doing good research. Who is Kevin? Well, that's Kevin Mayer. I mean, okay. look, I think that, in, in with all due respect to Jimmy uh, Pitaro, who's who has the title of president of ESPN, I think that um, I, I think that Kevin is uh, is certainly uh, has a major impact on what ESPN is doing, and uh, certainly when it comes to uh, D to C, but also other operational things, and he just absorbed uh, ad sales and technology, and so I think that it's. It's kind of foolish, uh, in a way, to look at the leadership of ESPN as we have for many, many years um, in terms of, you know, Steve Bornstein and George Bodenheimer and John Skipper and whatever. I think that, you know, Jimmy certainly has a big seat at the table, but um, I think that, you know, 
if you're really trying to understand how ESTN works and why, I think the uh, the nexus with Kevin and Kevin's close relationship to Bob um, Iger, I think, is uh, critically important to to really understanding you know how the place is running now. So, what what kind of power does Kevin have? Well, I think, you know, Kevin has uh, a lot of power. I mean, I think he, he has, uh, you know, if you look at the UFC deals that um, were engineered with uh, WME, IMG, and I think that uh, that was certainly uh, had Kevin's fingerprints all over it. That's not to say that he can write checks that size without checking with Bob, but my only point is, uh, you know, he did absorb two big units right when Jimmy took over, which is technology and um and ad sales, and I think he's a he's a driving force um, behind the future of ESPN. So, how, who will have a bigger impact though with the ESPN relationship with the NFL? Will it be Jimmy Pataro or Kevin? I think it's going to be Bob Iger. I think <laughs> that, that ultimately, I mean, that's not a cop out to answer it like that. No, but no. ultimately, yeah. I think that you know, what comes to the NFL, it's all hands on deck, and uh, I think you want to, you know. I think you want to use everything that you can, and I think Bob's history and relationship with the NFL, uh, you know, has to be uh, brought to bear. Uh, so you said you said Skipper he didn't he would have been okay losing the NFL, uh, but where do you think Bob Iger stands on that? I think. Well, let's see. John Skipper's not in the job, right? right. Um, that, there's one answer. But uh, I think that, uh, <laughs> look, I think Bob wants to keep, I think, I think yeah, it's a safe bet to say that Bob Iger wants to keep football. Right. In fact, you might, if you, you know, if you get good odds, you might even say, is there an ABC broadcast bid for, for NFL coming? Um, it wouldn't be the it wouldn't be the craziest thing in the world. Um, this this period of NFL negotiating rights that we're entering into is uh, is really going to be um, unlike unlike others, um, particularly because you have you know some other players out there that I mean, who's to say that AT and T won't try and figure out something or this one or the, I mean, it's, there's a lot of different players. The equation has changed, and uh, you know it used to be broadcast was uh, you know kind of like frowned upon in a way um except for nbc something that package and uh i think that you know could be that abc might might take a shot at it who knows so could you could you see a situation where abc gets a package and espn does not um well that's certainly possible and i think it would have been much more possible under skipper um even though bob has the bob Iger has the last say um i think it's going to determine how everything shakes out you know uh what kind of what, what kind of dollars disney is willing to throw at the nfl because i think that there's going to be some real competition it's interesting you brought that up about broadcast because i wrote we're taping this uh wednesday afternoon i wrote um on si.com on on trade of thoughts on wednesday about this massive massive deal uh the wwe and fox came to for smackdown live now fox is getting 52 weeks a year of live original programming in smackdown live as once a week but they're paying um more than 200 million for five years the package is worth a million you know more than a billion dollars and i do think it does show you that yes People are cutting the cord. Millennials stream. They don't even know what a television is. But there is still 
if if anyone thinks broadcast television is dead or dying, I I think they are sadly mistaken. That's true. And if anybody is uh, thinking about voting against Les Moonves, uh, they should remember that he's been a stalwart for broadcast television and engineering some huge retransmission fees for CBS. He never gave up on it. And, um, you know, CBS is a lot stronger because of it. So I've read in, in places, and I don't, I don't know how legit it is, maybe you do. So it does sound like Fox, though, are they going to get to a point where they're going to be completely away from any kind of scripted programming and they're going all sports reality? Is that the ultimate plan for Fox, do you know? Well, it certainly seems it, particularly given the money that they're spending. Yeah. I mean, you just talked about the, you know, that billion-dollar deal, uh, which is kind of an interesting strategy. And it's look, it's a, it's a strategy, and it's a, it's one that can be followed. I mean, if they go down to maybe two nights of uh, of scripted material or you know whatever, I, I mean, who knows? But it certainly seems that they are going to be. They'd rather spend more money on live rights than on scripted development, which is fine and good. The only problem is, I mean, you certainly can talk about all the money you'll save, but the question is, you know, you don't have that big home run or grand slam sitting out there like um, you do sometimes with, with, with a TV show. Now, there are some people who say, though, those days are over anyway. Right. You know, you know, so who's to say? I mean, you know, the Modern Family deals and, I mean, obviously Seinfeld and all those other big syndication deals of the last, uh, you know, couple of decades. Uh, are we going to be seeing those in the next couple of decades ahead? Maybe not. And if that's the case, then the calculus really makes sense that they're doing because, you know, just in order to get one of those hits, you have to develop so many others. So they may, they may have something there. It's still amazing. From the WWE standpoint, they they were the WWE was getting a hundred and fifty million dollars per year total for both of their shows. They have Monday Night Raw, Tuesday, they have SmackDown. They were getting a hundred and fifty million a year total from USA Network for those two shows, and now they're going to get two hundred and sixty five million a year just for Monday Night Raw from USA Network, and then two hundred and five million a year from Fox for Smackdown. That's, so they're going from $150 million a year for the two shows to $470 million a year for both shows. Uh, it's a remarkable. Yeah, my hat's off to some people who bought WWE stock in uh, yes. January and February. Seriously. It was a thing of beauty. Seriously. Um, let's get back to ESPN for a second. And even back to that Hollywood Reporter article, um, there was a line in there from someone, uh, not quoted, uh, anonymous quote, that said it's a demoralizing place to be. And, and, the, and the Hollywood Reporter said that quote came from a, quote, high-profile on-air talent. Now, do you think that's someone who has a personal agenda and maybe a grudge, or do you think that it is a demoralizing place to be from what you've heard through people in Bristol? Well, look, I mean, the truth is, you can go back to September 7th, 1979, and there's always going to be you know, at least one person who you can get a quote out of that's going to look at the world that's, you know, uh, the glass half full and uh, who's going to be despondent. And that might be a function of them feeling like they're not treated well or they're pissed off about their new contract or they just don't like current management or whatever. But I will say that, look, the company has been through a lot, not just for the last three years in terms of several rounds of layoffs and the cord cutting, um, 
but also all the political stuff, some suspensions, uh, tortured relationship with social media, and then, of course, the abrupt, very, very sudden, surprising departure of their president, who, by all accounts, was um, was genuinely liked within the ranks. So you have a new kind of world here. And I will say one thing, which is that I think that the that there is a a more symbiotic relationship between Bristol and Burbank. And I think that that's one of the things that um, Jimmy is delivering for Bob Iger and for Kevin. Um, but um, sometimes that comes at a cost in terms of, uh, you know, contracts and paying people um, what they're worth or what they think they're worth or, um, you know, the way that they've been accustomed to paying in the past. And I think that there are several um, high-profile situations going on now um, that are that people are aware of, and it's left them a little despondent and a little uh, not just the people involved. I mean, people who know these, you know, so and so's contract up or so and so's contracts up, and I think that that's had a rather chilling effect um, because these are people that are who are well liked, and uh, and and people don't want to see them leave. And so I think that, you know, the fact that the uh, there seems to be a much harsher, harder line on some of these um, renegotiation on negotiations on new contracts um, has unsettled a lot of people. Well, and I think that has to be expected in this day and age anyway. Um, plus, you see, the, I mean, these networks need the money for rights anyway. And I think talent has to sort of understand that. Yeah, I'm not talking about talent, actually. I'm talking about executives. Right. Well, yes. Well, even them, too. I mean, you know, it sort of it doesn't seem like major, major salaries for executives is the way to go anymore, with, considering how cable streaming and all that is, is working these days. Well, I can I can convict or acquit on that statement, <laughs> um, you know, because uh, I think if you have really talented people who have great relationships both internally and externally, um, you need them now more than ever. But I also think you need um, you need a lot of young people in this day and age. And, you know, they don't command the salaries that sort of, you know, longtime executives do. And I think I think it's true for every company in media. I think they lack younger people that are desperately needed. That's why I think Pitaro could be really good for, for ESPN, but we have to see how that plays out. Uh, yeah, sometimes so reps matter. And, you know, having institutional memory and having, and you're sitting down at the table for a new deal or something, you remember, wait a second, you know, last time we did this or last time they did this and we could do this now or whatever, some institutional memory, some, you know, kind of savvy that's been acquired through the years. Um, it's not a bad thing. Right. So there's, there's two stories going on at ESPN in terms of on air. They have stabilized the ratings for the 6 p.m. Sports Center. With Sage Steele and Kevin Nagandi, they've they've they're experiencing um, growth over the past few months after the Jamel Hill Michael Smith experiment. That was one of the interesting things in the Hollywood Reporter article, which I you know they quoted Norby Williamson as saying, "One down, one to go." When Jamel was removed from SportsCenter, and then there was another executive is quoted as saying, "The show is too black." I thought those comments coming out um, could have caused a stir in Bristol. Um, except that everybody kind of, it wasn't surprising to people. Um, you know, I think that, uh, the Jamel Michael experiment, uh, you know, I mean, look, I, I talked to both of them from my podcast. I was 
totally blown away by how open they were, um, particularly Michael. And you kind of understood just how much of the fabric was tearing there. And, uh, you know, they weren't going to management was not going to stand by and let that continue the way it was. And they went in and particularly Norby, they went in with a mission and they accomplished the mission and now everything old is new again. So, uh, um, you know, and they're supporting it. So Sage and Kevin are doing a solid job and, um, people understand what the DNA of that sports center is. It's not changing all the time. Um, you know, in fairness to Michael and Jamel, they brought them over to do X, then all of a sudden they were asked to do Y, and it was just, uh, you know, cats and dogs were sleeping together, so it was uh, it was just a bit confusing. And the other end of the spectrum is the morning show, Get Up. Now, you, you've been one of the people, and correct me if I'm wrong, but I think I have this right, you've been one of the people who said they're going to keep that cast and that show the way it is through football season you got to give them through football season um the numbers though have gone from bad to worse i mean they had under two hundred thousand viewers for some shows last week it seems that you know they'll get a bump maybe the day after the nba draft or something like that but on a day-to-day basis they're hovering around you know two hundred fifty thousand viewers for a very very high-priced cast what are you hearing about get up well, I mean, look, let me just pause for a second. It, I mean, I, I reported Greeny's salary when he made his new deal. It's a big number. But you know what? You know, for people that keep on saying it's a high-priced cast, the truth is if that show works, even at those salaries, um, it's still a bargain for ESPN because it's so much tonnage and um, it's such a, it, you know, it's such an important day part. Um, and people forget also that Beatle does other things besides get up. So when they're starting to kind of like clamber about her salary, I think that they think it's just about get up. Look, the truth is, I think that a show like that, I mean, it was postponed and, you know, you could say they had so much time to develop it. They need to come out of their blocks really, really strong, know exactly who they want to be and what they are and start kicking ass. Um, For whatever reason, it wound up being a show that um, was going to find itself more on the air and through a series of adjustments. If you go back and look at the first week, um, you know, they've made significant changes and strides and, uh, and they're trying a lot of different things. So I was just, I said that at the very beginning because I think that they need to have their act together by the end of the, by the beginning of the football season. Um, It would be ludicrous to, cut it off now, see if they can, um, you know, put together some strength because ESPN has not only Monday nights, but so much shoulder programming for NFL that they can get caught up and hopefully uh, get drafted in terms of the success of those shows and the games um, and see if that can be pulled around. Now, if the, if the week, two weeks after Super Bowl um, is, is over and, um, these numbers are still suggesting only friends and relatives are watching. Then, um, and I think you, you know some people have to make some hard decisions. But uh, you know, Connor Shell is head of content, and this is a you know one of his first big challenges. And you know, you don't really want to bet against them. And uh, so, um, you know, we'll we'll, we'll see how they uh, they continue to to develop it. It's interesting because a lot of people I've spoken to think it's 
time to make some cast changes, and and your stance is stay with it for a few more months, at least six more months, I guess. Well, I mean, look, here's the thing. I mean, all three of those people are individually talented. Um, well, you know, sometimes the, you look I at have the screen. To, but there's a difference between talented and being someone who people want to watch. No, I, I understand. I mean, look, sometimes you look at the screen, and like I think this morning, Greeny was in a coat and tie, and Jalen's got his you know, cool outfit de jour on. And, you know, you're just thinking like just from a aesthetic point of view and uh, sensibilities, um, it's a really hard thing to pull it all together. Um, but you know, the, the, the other thing is, I don't think even if you don't, I don't know, they're all three capable of that job. All three are very good broadcasters. So the question becomes the chemistry and also the DNA of the show. And what's their value proposition to the audience at that time of, of the day? Um, you know, I think those things have to be explored first because it's always so easy to say, well, let's get rid of so-and-so. But then sometimes, you know, you get rid of that person and things get even worse. And then you have to bring a new person in and then you have to try and recreate new chemistry, you know, all over again. So uh, I'm not sure that um, cast changes is, is the panacea that people think it is. See, I, I have a totally different, I sort of look at it I almost look at it this way. We've seen, and especially ESPN viewers, they've seen those three people a lot over the years. I mean, Mike Greenberg was on that radio show, which was simulcast for so many years. Um, Beetle was on um, Sports Nation, I guess, for a very long time. Now she's doing the NBA. Jalen doing the NBA. I have a funny feeling, and this is just me speaking as a fan more than anything. If they would have put three people on there or maybe two people on there, who people are not as familiar with, you know, I think it might have even been, I, I think it would have worked out better because I think people already know what these three people are. And, you know, Mike Greenberg, like you said, talented, he can do a broadcast. He's, he's, not, he's not really ever going to say anything that riveting. And, you know, I mean, Beatle, you sort of know where she's going to come from, I guess, on every topic. I don't know. It's just, I think unknowns would have been better than what they did but that's i mean what do i know i'm just throwing out but then you're you know but then you're saying to the world you know we're going to start this show with none of the talent that you know we we value and that you know in some ways you all value you know viewers um because i mean people you know look mike and mike did a pretty solid number for for many years um so it's not to say that they were without fans. Right. And, you know, so it's, it's, a tr it's a tricky thing. I mean, look, it's certainly a different way to go. Um, but I think that when you're planning a show like that, if your first goal is to, like, be cheap about who you're, who you're going to put on camera and not pay them a lot, then, well, I don't, you know. I don't, I don't think it's being cheap. I think it's new blood, um, maybe, you know, younger people. Uh, people who look at sports a little differently. That's, that's all I'm saying. But I, right. hear you, I hear you. There, there's still that. I I know executives still think name recognition and is a big thing. But I I, I don't know. I think those days may be may be ending. But that's just my opinion. All right. Let me tell everyone that today's episode of the SI Media Podcast is brought to you by our good friends at Buffalo Wild Wings. At Buffalo Wild Wings, they will admit that they often go overboard with their limited time offerings, and they just can't help themselves. Take, for example, the new signature sampler. For $15, you get wings and 
three shareable options, such as fried pickles or cheese curds. Then there is the aptly named over-the-top nachos, a literal mountain of crispy tortilla chips loaded with your choice of pulled pork or honey barbecue chicken, corn, jalapenos, and much more. Then you can top it all off with Buffalo Wild Wings' new platinum margarita. Go overboard with us today at Buffalo Wild Wings. Wings, beer, sports. Available for a limited time while supplies last. And as always, please, please, please remember to drink responsibly. All right. So let me get to Woj on draft night because it was a phenomenal story. And I know you weighed in with a couple of tweets about it. So that day it comes out or maybe even the day before, no tipping of picks on Twitter. No tipping of picks on Twitter. And Woj comes right out of the gate with tipping every pick in a creative way. I think we all know how it was done. Um, obviously, he's an untouchable in Bristol. Do you know, have you heard anything since then about, well, I've to, I'll, I'll ask a two-part question. One, was this the plan for Woj to do this all along, or do you know if he thought of it on the fly? And two, any fallout, what was the response from the NBA? Um, well, I mean, look, I, you know, it, it's almost like they went out and they they bought a new Porsche and then decided to drive it 40 miles an hour. <laughs> uh, I mean, cause, I mean, if you're going to, I mean, Woj is well paid and deserves to be so. Right. And why then handcuff them? I mean, they obviously ESPN management, uh, probably in close coordination with the NBA, uh, decided that that's the way they wanted to approach it. Um, I just think it's, look, it, what, what Woj did was masterful, not only in terms of his insights and his ability to, uh, you know, have impeccable reporting skills and great sources, but then to to do this. I mean, it wasn't like a mind fuck. It was more of a just a really interesting way to um, engage the audience and still show, um, you know, what he had. And uh, the interesting thing for me, though, was that ESPN afterwards put out like a press release saying, wasn't that great? You know, I was like, (laughs) okay, well, there you go. If you want to take credit for it, um, so be it. Um, But I think that uh, look, it takes somebody like Woj who you just, you just said something, which I think is the key here. Um, you you couldn't do this if you were a 25 year old at ESPN in your first deal, because right. um, they would have voted you off the island. The fact that Woj is Woj, and um, you know, I think that that um, that meant he's not nobody's nobody's untouchable. But in a situation like this, I think that um, you know his. Uh, his actions are uh, a little bit of an outlier and uh, lucky for ESPN because I think it garnered a lot of attention. And, and nobody on Twitter talked about anything else that entire night except for Woj. Um, yeah, well, listen, that's pretty amazing when you have a draft night and you have a multitude of people covering it and, you know, the, uh, the reporter himself, um, is, is the story. you know, yeah. is the story. Yeah. It was great. It was it was great, uh, and and hopefully they don't insult everyone next year by saying we're not tipping picks. Like we all know they're going to tip the picks. Let's not act like children. Let's just tip the picks. Um, over with Fox, they're airing the World Cup right now. They're very happy. I know they're touting their ratings and stuff like that. So things are 
going well for them this week. Um, we'll see what happens now when the World Cup is over and their shows on FS1. Either they find an audience or they don't. I have a feeling it's going to be the latter. But they have re-upped Colin Coward for a, a long, I think five years, if I'm not mistaken. Now, I, I lump, now, Coward to me is different than Bayless and Whitlock because Coward's doing a radio show for Fox that's very successful. Um, but it's an interesting deal because he has a piece of the pie from what I read. And uh, I just I assume the the Fox people are thrilled with what Colin brings to the table. Well, look, I mean, you know, my understanding is they reached out. I guess it's a year early, and um, I think the one thing that it shows is that you know Colin's very happy there, um, and I believe the deal is not done right as we speak, but it's being finalized. So if that's the case, remember Colin was somebody that ESPN wanted to hold on to. And, uh, you know, they offered him um, a, le- a legitimate offer. I mean, it was, it was pretty compelling. And yet he, he decided to go to Fox. Um, part of that was, uh, you know, Jamie Harwitz had, had really made a big deal of bringing him over. But Jamie is no longer there, and he's very happy there. So I think that to take yourself off the market a year early, um, I think, you know, some people can say, yeah, I'm happy here. I'm happy here. But I think, you know, Colin is a, when it comes to his career, um, he is very focused on what he does and why he does it. Mm-hmm. He's, um, there's a side of his brain, uh, even if some of his opinions about sports make you carsick, I think there's a side of his brain about the business that's fascinating and about his place in the business. And so he understands he's created a pretty smart um, architecture for himself and for his career. And so when he, when, when I see him deciding to, you know, re up a year early, um, you can be, you know, damn sure he's, uh, he's thought it through. And I, and I think it's smart of him to leave that TV show because no one's, no one watches that TV show. It's like, why does he even need to be on it It, it, with him and Whitlock? I mean, it, it's not, you know, bringing in any viewers. So he gets off of that well, and gets a new deal. Yeah, I mean, I look, I think that he's also, uh, there have been times in his career where he showed, uh, you know, that he's a pretty good trooper. And sometimes when you're taking a paycheck from somebody and you, you know, you want to be um, a good soldier, you do some things sometimes that you may not want to do or you think, well, this could work, this couldn't work. I'm not saying that's exactly what he thought with Whitlock, but I think that, you know, um, there from time to time he has done some things that, you know, just because he he wants to be loyal and, uh, you know, it uh, it makes sense for him given the fact that he's taking a paycheck from people. Do you think they'll keep Bayless when his contract's up fairly soon? I think so. I mean, you know, Jeez. Bayless is just, you know, for those uh, – for those young eyeballs, uh, it's like the gift that keeps giving. It's, they can't, they, they, they just can't, they can't stay away from it. Crazy, crazy. I don't get it. All right. Um, I want to talk to you. I know you're a big Sopranos guy, and they just had the anniversary of the series finale. Before we, we close with that, this one's off the beaten path, but I, I'm going to ask it anyway. Um, there was all this stuff this week with all these networks bringing, hiring former NFL refs you know, to do the Mike Pereira job. They got, uh, I think, CBS Terry McCauley, Gene Stratator is going to CBS. ESPN, for some reason, is bringing in the worst ref ever, Jeff Triplett. 
Yeah. Is it really necessary to have a referee in your NFL broadcast booth? Am I the only one who thinks like we know the rules and the announcers know the rules and it it, it sometimes I actually find it adds more confusion and and anarchy sometimes to a telecast. Obviously, I'm in the minority because people seem to love the Mike Pereiras and all this stuff, but. Uh, you know, it, it's it's a. It also to me it shows you how it's just the TV industry. It's just such a copycat industry. We have they have a ref. We have to have a ref. No, you don't. You you could you'll be. They had football for a hundred years without refs. It, it's okay. I don't know. Is that just a stupid pet peeve of mine, or do you think it's a necessary? Uh, you might want to get over it. Yeah. I mean, look here. Here's the thing. I mean, it does bring another level of credibility because these guys have actually been in the arena. So if, like, you know, it used to be John Gruden would say, "Oh, I think that's something," you know, whatever. It's like, okay, but you're you're a coach, and I don't know. Sometimes your your view of things are tad askew. Like, let's get some somebody who's you know arguably Switzerland and who's actually been on the field and done that and looked at these things and see what they have to say. I think it I think it does add another dimension. It's just the problem is that the choreography you have to be careful when you go, how often you go, and does it interrupt the rhythm then of the booth? Um, it's yeah. trickier than you know it seems. Well, see, I could buy that if if they were right most of the time, but they're wrong a lot, which I think is a problem. And the other thing, too, is I, I guess it's more the directors and the networks because, you know, let's say there's a play where someone fumbles and they're going to review it, and they show the replay and the ball clearly comes out before his knee is down. We don't need the ref to then cut the Pereira or whoever to come in and say, oh, his knee was – we can all see it. I don't mind it when there's confusion about a rule – but it's like they use the ref to validate what we just saw with our own eyes. Well, that's, that's what I yeah, that's yeah. what I just meant. You got to be careful how often you go there. Yeah. All right, let's talk about the Sopranos for a little. Well, before we even do the Sopranos, tell me about what's going on with Origins, the very popular podcast you hosted. Where are we doing any new episodes right now? Are we sort of uh, in in a hiatus? What's going on with Origins? No, no, no. I've been um, I've been working on four episodes, four chapters all at once. And um pretty excited about it, and uh, thank you for asking, by the way. So we've been doing, like, putting up some margins, originals, you know, just the full-length interviews with people like Kornheiser and uh, and Wilbon and uh, Overman and Patrick are coming, uh, coming out soon. But um, starting in uh, late summer, we're going to have four in a row, um, August, September, October, November. And uh, so I'm really excited about it. They're, any, they're kind of, you know. Any hints? Any hints of what they'll be? Uh, well, one one of the chapters will be from the world of sports. Okay. Um, yep. Okay. So, and then, um, what about the other three? TV, music, movies. You wanna? TV? Yeah, something like that. Yeah. Right. Something like that. All right, under wraps. Yeah. I mean, look, you know, I mean, my sweet spots are movies, television, uh, music, and uh, sports. So, um, but I'm I'm pretty uh, pretty psyched about these, and uh, and also have uh, started actually on five for next year. So oh, wow. it's going to be busy. All yeah. Right. Origins podcast. I'm looking forward to that. So like I Thank said, you. a couple of weeks ago was the anniversary of the Sopranos finale. Are you a Tony was shot in the diner or Tony is alive guy? I'm a, I like the way David Chase explained it right, at the be, right from the beginning, which is just this idea of suspension and just like this just a portrait of the four of them sitting there and you don't, you just, you just stay in that moment. And I never had to think about whether or not they were going to be shot or whether they were going to be 
staying there or whatever, I was just so caught up by like the way that it was the, those penultimate moments, how it was all directed, mm-hmm. and the energy and the anticipation. And I don't know. I just uh, I I have a feeling. Look, here's the thing: David Chase is not shy about killing people, <laughs> and um, you know, if he really wanted to go out in a you know in the blaze of glory, I think that would have that would have happened. Um, there was something as shocking as it was. Um, there was something so elegant about it, and um, I just I don't know. I just never had to think about it beyond what I saw in that booth, and and uh, you know what I felt about every single freaking episode of that thing. Right. I have to say, so when I wrote about it. I threw it out there on Twitter and said, you know, on this date in whatever year it was, Tony Soprano died and, you know, and people are have very passionate opinions about whether he was shot or not that time. And I think it's interesting, I, for, for a very long time, I was like you. I never really thought he died or and I didn't think he was alive. I didn't, I just took the finale for what it was. But David Chase did do a lot of interviews saying, it's all laid out for you, it's all explained which leads you to believe if you go into the rabbit hole that Tony was now listen Tony could have been shot and not killed that's the other thing in that so there's another I feel like there is a third he could have been not shot enjoyed his meal with his family and ate his onion rings and and then left with Carm he could have been shot and killed he could have been shot and not killed which happened in a previous season when he was in the hospital and had all his weird dreams yeah so, I mean, isn't one of Freud's definitions of maturity the ability to handle ambiguity? We just I, have to live with it. Yeah, I'm not that mature to handle it. I have to, I have to be on the side that Tony. I don't know. I don't. I never wanted to think he was shot. And like you, you know, like you said, David Chase was not shy. I mean, by the end of that series, pretty much everyone was gone. Um, you know, they killed Bobby towards the end. Christopher, Silvio, Hi. I think was Silvio was in a coma. I think when the show ended. Yeah. So, I mean. What's why hold back? I mean, unless you were just you wanted to make sure that there was a movie or something like that that was going to come up, um, and you didn't want to, you know, take that possibility off the table. But um, well, I don't maybe, know. Or I maybe mean, you hold back because whether people loved it or hated it, it's probably the most iconic series finale ever because of what he did. Um, it's certainly up there. It's certainly up there. Look, I mean, when I mean Frank died, that was a that was one of the more visually arresting uh, murder, you know, murders. And uh, you know, Bobby died. It's like I think he didn't he didn't need to do another one. Mm-hmm. All right. Interesting. And uh, Interesting. you know, yeah. uh, you reach. Believe it or not, I mean, how given the way, I mean, gosh, given the way everybody died in the in the last four episodes. I mean, with Tony holding his nose and Frank getting run over by the, t- I mean, it's like, and Bobby on the train. I mean, like, how, how do you even knock off Tony? And I, who wants to see Carmela dead? I like I mean, that you besides, keep, I like that you keep yeah. calling him Frank. It's, uh, Phil Leotardo is, is who Jim is referring to. Oh yeah, to. Frank, Frank Benton. Yeah. I'm sorry. Who I, yeah. who I use, I used to call Billy Bats. I, I mean, for so long, right. when he, that first year he was on The Sopranos, to me it was Billy Bats from Goodfellas and. And he yeah. ended up becoming Philly. Yeah. Um, yeah. Go get your shine box. Right. That's the other thing. You know, that's a good point, too. They, I cut you off when you were talking about no one wants to see Carm dead. I mean, that the members only guy could have came out and shot Carm or the kid. I mean, you don't know really what would have happened if that guy was a shooter. Um, but I don't want to think about Carm dead at all. That that just. That, right. Exactly. Should, yeah, that should. You know, 
by the way, or the kids. Yeah. So well, you know, a- AJ was expendable at that point. <laughs> well, AJ almost killed himself a couple of yeah, times. Yeah. So you, you know, know, it's funny. I watched that scene recently, that episode recently, and it, you know, a lot of those episodes, Pine Barrens and and Whitecaps, I I've watched so many times over the years. That episode, I never really wanted to go back and rewatch, and I rewatched it recently. And uh, the scene after he uh, AJ tries to kill himself, and there's a scene after with Tony and Doctor Melfi. It's you know, it's as good as it gets. It's um, that that was an extraordinary relationship. Yes, um, that the two of them had. I hated the I hated the way that relationship ended, and that to me is um, my biggest gripe with the series. Um, but uh, it was uh, it was pretty amazing, and you know, think back to the New Yorker cover when the Sopranos went off the air. It was uh, Tony walking out of uh, Melfi's office. Yeah, yeah, it was that, it all. Yeah, those scenes were always riveting. All right, I appreciate your time, and um, we'll be looking out for the new origins coming up. Sounds exciting, and uh, I thank, thank you. you for the insight on ESPN and, and sports media topics. Thank you. All right, that wraps up this episode of the SI Media Podcast. I'm your host, Jimmy Trainer. Always love talking to James Andrew Miller because he can do so many topics. Enjoyed the Sopranos chat there at the end more than anything. But hopefully you enjoyed the uh, little sports media chat we did as well. And uh, next week, 4th of July week, hope everyone out there has a safe 4th of July. Uh, Jim Cornette, the legendary wrestling manager, will be the guest on the SI Media podcast. If you're a wrestling fan, you will not want to miss it. I, I don't try to pump things up, but Jim Cornette for an hour talks and talks and talks says unbelievable things gives you some insight actually um had some interesting thoughts on the montreal screwjob you think you've heard everything about it but jim goes into that so if you're a wrestling fan make sure you subscribe check out the podcast next week with jim Cornette, and uh hopefully you guys enjoyed this episode with james andrew miller that wraps up this episode of the si media podcast and we'll see you next week take care Do you know about the Locked On Podcast Network, the number one daily sports podcast network? Locked On has a daily podcast on every NBA and NFL team, plus a growing lineup of college and MLB teams. You get a daily bite-sized podcast giving you the latest on your team from the local experts. Lakers fans, search Locked On Lakers. Cowboys fans, search Locked On Cowboys. Just search Locked On, your favorite team, on Apple Podcasts or Google Podcasts, or tell your smart speaker to play podcast Locked On, your favorite team. Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. At Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every home run, every hit, every inning, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a walk-off grand slam or a base hit to center field. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment, it's never ordinary at Pet365. 21 plus only must be present in Ohio. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Getting ready to take on spring? Make your first move with the reliable performance and power of steel battery tools. From hedge trimmers and mowers to string trimmers and more... Right now, you can save $50 on select battery tool sets. Real steel. Offer valid on select AK system sets through June 16, 2024. See participating retailer for details.
Hey guys, back at the playground again, huh? Yep. You know what this playground could use? A wine country. Heck yeah! And some waves, so we could go surfing. Oh, <laughs> ah, love that! A redwood forest would be cool. I'm in! Ah, ski slopes. Let's do it! Um, tenor girl go shopping. Yeah, baby! Wait! Did we just invent California? Discover why California is the ultimate playground at visitcalifornia.com.